literally generate more leads that are high quality SQL B2B leads on Facebook organically these days than LinkedIn. Welcome to Sales Pipe Pros Podcast. Here's your host, Mike Petrosian. Welcome to Sales Pipe Pros. I'm your host, yeah. Mike Petrosian. I appreciate you taking the time. Today, I have an awesome guest from Toronto, Canada, who is a serial entrepreneur and a true go-getter. Lloyd Yip, welcome. Good to meet you, man. Really uh, excited to you know have some good chats today about sales, pipe, about building companies. It's, it's, it's the fun stuff right there. <laughs> awesome. Well, Happy New Year to you, too. It's yeah. going to be an awesome 2020. So, Lloyd, you reached out to me, actually. Uh, you were doing some hunting, loved your style, yep. <laughs> totally resonated with what I do here in San Francisco. Just let's kick it off, man. Tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into this crazy world of sales. Yeah, like I'd like to say that what I do now is the culmination of like probably the last seven years of what I was doing before. I got my kickoff in my sales career at a tech company. And we did marketing technology. It was enterprise marketing tech. So you would imagine as a 21-year-old who's like pretty new out of school, if you're selling to VPs of marketing and CMOs of like Fortune 1000 companies, you either figure it out fast and you learn their world and you learn how to talk to them in a professional manner or you get out because you're just not really cut out for it. And there was times that I was not really sure if I was cut out for it. But frankly, you want something bad enough and you like the art and I think that's really carried me through this entire time. The fact that I like sales as an art. Sometimes when I'm like in the zone of talking to someone, I really enjoy it. It's kind of like a game or a sport to me. It's never felt like a chore. So that combined with just wanting to get better and grinding and learning about the worlds of my clients got pretty in deep with deals and sales and marketing. And after spending a couple of years there, closing some pretty big deals, learning a lot of proper sales process at big and mature companies, went off, uh, worked at a very early stage startup. Literally, it was me and the founders working out of the living room of the founders' house because they were roommates together. And we managed to grow that from like very early days to two and a half million. Took us 18 months. That was a huge learning experiment, not only in terms of like how to grow our own company, but also our clients were SMBs and we were helping them with sales technology. And inherently we would see what worked for them and what didn't work for them sales wise. So it was like a really interesting insight to, okay, here are the tactics that work when you're a little bit more mature. Here are the tactics that work when you're really early on. And here are the things that commonly cause early stage founders to really just falter. Cause we would see, even if you had a top of the funnel figured out, they might not know how to close deals or they might not know how to like process or follow up on leads. And, Sales isn't just like a simple one part of the funnel thing. You fix it and you're good to go. There's like a lot of different points that you have to optimize, right? So part of the reason why I actually left to build my own consultancy was instead of just building like a point solution that addressed only the top of the funnel, which is in effect what we did, I wanted to be a bit more holistic. Definitely get into your consulting business in a second because I saw your training. I was super impressed. Definitely want to talk more about that. But before we get into that, let's talk a little early stage. Uh, I saw your background. You know, you you had the pretty much the the go to when it comes to the sales career, starting with the BDR and growing into an account yep. executive into entrepreneurship. Tell me about some of your strategies that you've adopted in your career when it comes to building pipelines. I think in today's era, the the ability to just do things at scale and 
fully automated. Although like the technology is there, the messaging itself can't be the same. People don't realize that Facebook isn't simply a paid acquisition tool. If you understand how to utilize Facebook, even organically, you can generate a ton of conversations. Like I literally generate more leads that are high quality SQL B2B leads on Facebook organically these days than LinkedIn, which is crazy. Wow. I would have never guessed that. <laughs> but once you kind of figure out the system, that is going to make a huge impact. Now, the only other thing that I'll add on to that is with any of the channels that I use, my primary philosophy is value first. People always say, always be closing. I don't necessarily abide by that rule, especially if you're in business development. When you ask for value, people are going to ignore you unless you come off as a credible person or unless you kind of help them earlier on first. And what's your take on cold calling in general as a sales professional? Like with a phone? Ooh. Yes, sir. It's tricky. Like I, I personally don't cold call anymore, which is crazy because when I think about my early days, that's all I did. I only cold called. Right. And I was good at it. Like I wasn't always good at it, but I had to be good at it. But what I realized, especially as like a small business owner and the fact that I'm wearing a lot of hats, I'm not only doing BD, but I'm also closing deals. I'm also doing client fulfillment. I'm also doing long-term strategy work for myself. Like I don't have enough hours in the day to be cold calling. So I'm trying to do things that are a little bit more scalable. I try to rely on content at least. So I have inbound. And inbound doesn't necessarily need me to be actively trading time for leads. It just works. If I understand my audience that I can provide great content, I can utilize other channels, whether that be on LinkedIn or email, which are a little bit easier to scale to a large audience. Whereas cold calling, you almost have to like make one call per person. Um, also yeah. like the trends that people don't pick up the phone as much. So like I need my tactics to be scalable. Um, doesn't mean that you should just like march into TikTok. Gary Vaynerchuk keeps on talking about TikTok. Like, no, you choose your channels based off where your audience are, right? You only have so many hours in the day, although Absolutely. every channel could in theory be working for you. You can't do all of them because you're going to split your attention too much. Let's talk a little bit about once we get that opportunity in the pipe, uh -huh. you know, you got that opportunity, they're interested. How do you, what are some of your strategies when it comes to objection handling? No. The way that I think about it, and this is a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I'll give you a more tactical answer after this is if someone's giving you an objection, sometimes it's because you messed up like earlier on in the process, right? That's fair. Not to say that you should never hear objections. It, they're going to come up inevitably, but a lot of the objections that people get are honestly avoidable. If they just listened better during discovery, they extracted like the real reasons why certain problems are existing and they were better able to demo or sell the offering in relation to those problems. When people just like ramble on and on about here's my demo, here's all the features, then inevitably people are just gonna care less. And if you didn't discover properly, you're really not gonna be able to attach your features to actually solving a pain. And then they're for sure not gonna believe that what you're doing is valuable. So what I would do in the beginning is whenever I hear an objection, I just wanna dig deeper. Think about each objection as like its own individual discovery process where you want to figure out like the real why behind why they're saying what they're saying. And if there's any uncertainty, you just keep on like digging. Like, what do you mean? Like, so you told me earlier that this, so w w when you say this, what do you actually mean? And you keep on digging until you're pretty certain about what the objection actually is.
Nope. That's kind of like step one, right? And then step two is you summarize it back to them so that you have them articulate and confirm your thoughts. Because a lot of the times our inherent biases or our inherent uh, you know, perceptions of the world, even though we think that they're accurate, they might not be. So if I feel like I got to the bottom of it and I just assume, okay, it's time to handle the objection, but they're still thinking about something else or I'm missing something, then I'm going to actually not have a really solid bulletproof case. So I want them right. to literally hear me say, okay, it sounds as though your problem is X, Y, and Z. Is that right? If they say, no, you're like kind of off, then I got to go back to like step one and discover again. But if they're saying, yeah, that's actually what I'm thinking. That's actually what's making me feel a bit con uh, confused or concerned. Then that's good. And that's step two. Step three would be actually overcoming that objection. And ideally you've heard that same objection like five times or 10 times. So you already know how to overcome it. If it's like a brand new objection, it's always going to be a little bit of a minefield, but it comes back down to like the value that you provide, right? Absolutely. The, the prospect wants to get to a certain place, but they're not there. And there's certain things that are stopping them from getting there. So bring it back to, okay, prospect, you told me earlier that you really want to get to this place and you are unable to. What I'm telling you is the solution that we're going to be working on together should, if executed upon properly, get you from point A to point B. So help me understand, like, what is it that you're not seeing in terms of the value that's making you a little bit hesitant? And right. if you articulate it in that way, because previously they should have said, yeah, these are my problems, they're trapped. So the only way that they could say, I don't think this is valuable or I don't want this is if they point to some other problem. So it's like some externality, right? Like, oh, my boss doesn't want this. Or uh, yeah, like we already signed a contract with another vendor and it's going to last for another six months. So I can't actually implement it even if I want to. Some other thing is going to come up eventually because there's no logical reason why they'll say no to you if you pitched properly right. and you understand that your offering actually adds value. So then you kind of like rediscover that other objection and you just keep on doing that until there's like no way out. Now, the other thing that I would say is that sometimes objections cannot be fully handled. Sometimes clients are actually bad fits for you and you shouldn't even try to close them. Sometimes your offering is not the right offering for someone. And that's like a legitimate reason for them to not work with you. Like those things are all yeah. acceptable, but in a situation where the offering is the right offering and the right fit, like there really isn't a reason that you shouldn't bring that client home. Dealt with a lot of sales reps before that. As soon as they hear an objection, they just kind of start losing their shit and they, they don't understand how to yeah. handle themselves. So that kind of brings me to my next point is, you know, you're a head of sales now and I'm sure you have reps under you or you've managed reps before. How do you deal with an underperforming rep specifically in this entitled uh, world that we live in now in 2020? Yeah. So this is like a recurring theme, I think, with just the way that I see the world. But I believe in prevention more than like reaction because if, if it comes to the point that you have to react it's almost too late already is having a stringent interview process never hiring quickly and rushing it just out of necessity like take your time you know and, and really make sure that they meet enough people in the team and really understand like their philosophies and the way that they look at the world preferably if possible get them to even like do a project 
during the interview process. So that is not just, are they able to interview well? Because like, that's kind of deceiving. People can interview well and not necessarily do whatever they need to do once they're there. Right. So those are like the initial steps that understand what are their motivations? Why are they here? What are they trying to achieve? What are they trying to accomplish? And if for whatever reason they're not performing well, I'm not going to like waffle around it. I'm going to ask them like, Hey, obviously when we decided to work together, these are the goals and we had set these expectations, right? Yep. And we're not hitting them. Like I want to be in a position to help you overcome whatever it is that's stopping you from getting to this. Cause I know that you want to do this too. Like no one wants to be bad at their job. Like that wouldn't make any sense, but obviously something's preventing it. Like what can I do to help? And like, has there been anything going on in your life or your experience here that's been preventing you? Like having an open and honest discussion with the people in your team is so critical. Um, and building like that safe space where they're okay with telling you the stuff that's going down. Cause sometimes it's work related. Sometimes it's not work related. And only when you understand what's preventing them from getting to success, can you figure out like a roadmap to getting them there? Absolutely. Right. Cause like different people will struggle for different reasons. How can you possibly fix it? If you don't know like the specific reason why there's a problem It's the same thing when you're on sales calls, like when you're doing high ticket sales and you're trying to be consultative, you can't provide your recommendation on what thing they should buy unless you deeply understand their problems and what's causing it. You can't just like say, here's this thing and then like pitch it the same way as everyone. Like that doesn't work. So when you're working with people, everyone's unique. And then sometimes you just got to fire people, <laughs> right? Cause like sometimes things when don't all hell fails. <laughs> yeah. And, and not being like emotional about it. Just understanding that it's, fact of life i've been fired before it was it was the right move on their end right so what advice would you give to someone that wants to get into the world of sales and not just in the specifically tech in general i mean if money is the primary reason though that's pretty hard like i don't think any job ends up being the right job if it's just for money and it's not just sales right like i have friends who've done like investment banking or gotten like a law degree and if the main motivation is the dollars and cents, it's so hard to sustain. That being said, I mean, hopefully on some level, you can find a way to enjoy the actual art. For me, I feel as though what's progressed me in the career is liking the actual art of sales itself. Right. And it's like a super transferable skill, whether that be at work, which is very obvious how it would be positive, but to your own personal life where you're convincing your friends to do something on Saturday night or convincing your kid to go to bed early, whatever it is, even just being a better communicator, I find that art like fascinating. So for me, I really tried to just enjoy the art as what it is. And from there, a lot of the benefits and a lot of the improvements that I've made professionally, personally, um, has come from that. But as far as like how else they should succeed, is it cliche to just say like you got to grind a little bit? Not at <laughs> is that all. Really cliche? I don't know. I I don't think that you can really get anywhere far unless there is a certain level of repetition. Um, like I spent before I worked my first real sales job, if you want to call it that, I ran a window cleaning company to pay off school in university, and that was like door to door, right? So I don't know how many doors I knocked I knocked on, but a lot, a lot of doors. And a lot of them were like, 
was the goal at that point to pay off the debt or was it you were truly passionate about window cleaning? I just wanted to try something that I hadn't tried before. I was That's definitely right. not passionate about window cleaning. That's for <laughs> sure. I was excited to not have to climb any more ladders. I wasn't passionate about going door to door either. Didn't like it, but I won't deny that it had a positive benefit on like me right. as a person. You grow a little bit of a thick skin. Everyone should do door to door for, for like a while just to see how they react. Um, yep. cause I remember standing in front of my first door, just like hanging out for a minute and a half, not knocking on the door. <laughs> I was thinking like my house is right there. I could just go home. Like there's nothing that's stopping me from going home, but I didn't leave. I just kind of stood there until I knocked. And then every knock kind of gets a little bit easier after. Now you've entered into the world of entrepreneurship. You have your mm -hmm. own business now. What inspired you to do that? So I mentioned right in the beginning of our conversation, what I do now is a culmination of everything that's been in my career up to this point. So working at a bigger company, seeing what it took to grow from 50 employees to 150 employees, and then being at like a smaller startup where we grew from like four people to 40 people and seeing everything in between and understanding, having worked with a lot of SMB and early stage entrepreneurs, that there's just like massive gaps in terms of their knowledge typically in regards to scaling companies. And a lot of, like you're in San Fran, you, you see technical founders all the time who are amazing at building stuff, but they don't understand how to go to market. They don't understand how to sell. They don't understand how to position themselves. They don't understand the systems behind it. It's not as simple as just, do you know how to talk on the phone? But it's about, do you, have, do you know how to build like scalable sales systems and repeatable processes? And people don't know how to really do that either. So I left my startup, the one that I had been working on uh, before, because obviously I wanted to build something that was truly mine. But I also wanted to solve what I felt was a bigger problem. The bigger problem being like sales is just not holistically understood from the science and the art perspective by most early stage technical founders. Um, you don't even need to be technical. You could just be a founder who's never done sales marketing before. And then inevitably people in those situations, they go about trying to find clients like via word of mouth or their own circle of friends, or they'll send out like an email blast. It doesn't work and they get all sad. Or maybe they'll write a blog post and no one sees it and they get sad. Like just like no method to the madness at all. I wanted to give them like a structure which could not only help them generate a ton of leads, but also get validation to make their offering better and also help them become better salespeople so that they can close and also have the right technology and tools in place so that everything is consistent and repeatable and understanding like what it takes to scale from say like zero to 5k and then from five to 25k and then from 25 to 50k the different things that are associated with each stage because the growth strategies in the early stages and in the middle stages and at the larger stages keep on changing. So not only do you have to understand systems, but you have to know how to adapt your systems as you grow. A lot of people go about growth in like a totally uh, like improvised way. And it's really hard to scale that way, I think. And uh, so, where do people get in touch with you, man? Tell yeah, yeah. So LinkedIn, that's uh, that's a solid place for me. I spend a lot of time there. Facebook as well. I actually have a Facebook group. I suppose you can just post the show notes on wherever you're going to be distributing this. I can give you a Absolutely. couple of those links. Um, but uh, my website, obviously, as well. So lwyconsulting.com. 
And if anyone's interested, I actually have a free training right now on it that talks about how an early stage founder can scale quickly to $50,000 of MR mm -hmm. within a year. So if anyone is that early stage B2B founder, whether you're selling SaaS, whether you're selling um, like a high ticket service. So I have clients that are like HR talents, clients uh, or uh, consultants or, you know, just like random consultants for different functions, even like agency owners. I work with a lot of um, like digital marketing agency owners. If you're in B2B and high ticket. Awesome. That's what I'm all about. So, yeah. Awesome. Saw your training, man. I saw, you know, building it from zero to 5K MRR all the way scaling up to 50K MRR. Your training was truly inspiring. Uh, definitely resonated well with me, but I got a lot of great tips from it. So awesome. We'll definitely I'm glad because be you're, you're in your own right, very knowledgeable, but knowledgeable about the space. So if there's anything that. new that I was able to like help you out with, that's kind of cool actually. I me. appreciate that. Yeah. Lloyd, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks so much. Uh, Keep in touch. Let us Thanks know if there's anything you can do. And, uh, cheers, bud. Happy New Year again. For sure. Thanks for joining. For more episodes, visit salespipepros.com.